Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad and happy that you decided to worship with us today on this Resurrection Sunday. It is such a joy to be here with you and you with me as we celebrate our risen Savior. He is alive. He has risen. And we're so thankful that we're here to celebrate that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me uh, to, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter one. And that's where our lesson will come from today on this Easter Sunday. We'll be in Revelation chapter one, verses one through eight. So if you turn there with me, I'd like to read that pass passage of scripture. And if you're there on your in your Bible, on your smart devices, whatever you may have, if you found that then this is what you'll find. And I'm reading from the ESV version. And here's what the word of the Lord says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches there in Asia that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us and our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God, to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Blessed, the blessed Word of God for the people of God today on this Easter Sunday. I like to, from that passage of scripture, lift scripture, lift a theme for us today on this blessed day. That theme is this. God still wins. God still wins. God still wins. We are uh, most of you know and, and can agree with me when I say this. We are indeed living in challenging times. The likes of which we've never seen before. We've never seen anything like this before. And while this is true, the reality is that all of life is challenging. All of life is a challenge. So much so that we in society have created outlets that help us relax and take our minds off the harsh realities of life. Things like sports and entertainment, those things that humanity, even from, from years and years ago, created uh, to help 
to be an outlet, to, to be a release from the difficulties of life. And, uh, you know, I need to share something with you. I am, most of you that know me know this, but let me share this with you. I am a huge sports fan, huge sports fan. And I have to admit that one of the challenges for me during this time has been not being able to watch live sports on TV. Since there are no live sports being played right now on TV to help those of us that are missing this outlet, some of the sports networks have been airing replays uh, of some of the notable sporting events from the past to help some of us, some, some, some of you that are like me who are missing it and want to see it. They, they, they air, they're airing replays of events from the past. So uh, that being the case the other day, I was uh, flipping channels, you know, as I often do. And I happened up on a replay of Super Bowl 51. You remember it. It was between the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. It was played in 2017. Uh, when I turned and I tuned in to the replay, the game had already been in progress for a while. It had already started. It had already been in progress. In fact, it was the third quarter and New England, as I tuned in, was down by 25 points. The score was 28 to three when I tuned into the game. I, I could I could faintly recollect uh, what happened in the game, uh, but 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 it, I, I couldn't remember exactly. Uh, I couldn't remember all the details and the play by play of how it originally played out. But I but I did remember that New England won the game somehow. Couldn't remember exactly all the details of how they would do it. But I did remember that they won the game as I continued watching. My recollection proved to be true as New England kept battling until they tied the game up at the end of regulation to force overtime where they, in fact, won the game in overtime 34 to 28. A game, by the way, again, where they had trailed by 25 points in the third quarter, which is late in the game behind by 25 points. As I watched the game, it appeared at times as I was watching that Atlanta was actually going to win. But I was constantly reminded that this was a replay. The final outcome had already been settled and nothing could change that. It had already been settled. There was no reason at all for New England Patriots fans, of which, by the way, I'm not one. <laughs> no reason for them uh, who were watching the fans who were watching the replay to be anxious. No reason for that. No reason for them to be nervous. No reason for that. There was no reason for the Patriots fans to be on the edges of their seats. No reason at all, because the victory had already been recorded in the annals of history. No matter what happened on the screen, the Patriots would still win no matter what happened. This is indeed an Easter like we've never witnessed before. Easter, 
By the way, most of us can, can, can relate to this that I'm getting ready to say. Easter is normally a time of large church and family gatherings. Large church gatherings, large family gatherings, fancy attire, lots of food, lots of fun, lots of fellowship. But this Easter is a little bit different, so different than normal. None of us have ever experienced uh, anything like this in our lifetimes. There now is isolation. There's social distancing. There's not a lot of in-person fellowship going on. Church buildings are empty. Online church is the order of the day right now. There is some anxiety. There is some even fear amongst us. It seems like humanity, including the church, is way down, way behind in the game right now. But in spite of what it looks like, God wants us to know something on this Easter Sunday 2020. He wants us to know that even though it may appear that the church is down, that humanity is down, that believers are down and behind in the game. He stopped by today and he wants us to say to remind us. He wants to remind us today that he still wins. He still wins. It's the same message, by the way, that he has for John and the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapter one. It's the very same message. He shares the same message with them. He says, I still win. It could very well have been Easter Sunday. Oh, I don't know. It could have been Easter Sunday. Oh, I know it was a Sunday, but it could have been Easter Sunday on the Isle of Patmos. And the conditions were similar in some ways to ours today. There was isolation going on. There was anxiety and even fear among some on that day. Might have been an Easter Sunday, could have been. I don't know, but I know that some of the same things that we're experiencing were going on then. John, who is the writer of Revelation, has been preaching Christianity in the cities of the empire and for that seditious act, he has been arrested and confined to the Isle of Patmos by the then emperor by the name of Domitian. Domitian uh, rejects uh, Christianity and Domitian's rejection and harsh treatment of the emerging emerging Christian movement was enough to cause feelings among them of forlorn, of bewilderment, of anxiety and fear among some of them. Uh, and, 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 and it was it was that that was the case then. fear among the Christians of the day had crept in because of the things that were going on. Uh, it is those feelings, those feelings of forlorn and fear that Jesus then commissions John to write what amounts to a letter to the seven churches. Book of Revelation is God's word to the churches both then and even now. It's it, it, we can apply it 
to our lives right now, to the men, women and children who gather on Sunday mornings just like this one to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to kindle their longing for his return. It is God's word to those that worship him through his son, Jesus. It is God's word to those that love him and long to know him more. It's God's word. It's God's word. It's God's word to those that endure the pain and hardship and brokenness in this world while they eagerly await the return of his son, the true king of all creation. That's what revelation is. It's God's word for us right now. God's word is God's promise. God's word is his promise all throughout his word. That's what it is. It's his promise to us. The revelation is God pulling back the curtain and revealing to us what the next chapter looks like. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I need to know that it gives me confidence. It gives me hope to see what happens after this, not just after today, but after this life in, in eternity. I, I want to see that. And when I see it, uh, it helps me to live my life and be confident in my faith every day. As I said earlier, the writer of this book is John the Apostle. John met Jesus for the first time when he was when he was young, young man. He and his brother James were fishermen at that time. Jesus calls these two brothers, you're, you may recall, the sons of thunder. That's how he refers to James and John. John was one of the closest of Jesus's 12 disciples, and he was usually there during Jesus's most intimate moments. He was in the inner circle. Jesus, he, he, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. John was the only disciple, by the way, at the cross. Rest of them had, had ran off in fear. John was there at the cross comforting, comforting Mary, Jesus's mother. He wrote the Gospel of John. John did. He authored uh, one of what is the most famous pieces of literature in all times. You know, it is in John 316. And it says this for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Is that John? This John, he he served as pastor to seven different churches and he spends most of his pastorate at the church at Ephesus uh, at this writing, though, in Revelation, the year is now 95 A.D. He's now in his 80s or maybe in his 90s. And it has been somewhere around 60 years since he's seen Jesus face to face. And according to verse 10, according to verse 10 of chapter one, what John is doing when, G, when when this all happens is he is on the Isle of Patmos in isolation and it is the Lord's day and he's worshiping on the Lord's day. Even though he's in isolation, even though he's he's separated from everyone, even even though he may be having some of the same kinds of feelings that we're having right now, he is worshiping. On the Lord's day, even then, he's doing that. And then while he's worshiping, something very interesting happens. Something very, very moving happens. Jesus shows up. 
while, while John is in the midst of worship, Jesus shows up with what amounts to good news for both John and for the churches. As a result, John writes this letter. Join me then as we examine this letter that John writes, not all of it, just a little bit of the first chapter. As we do that, I, I want to examine three things. The prologue of this letter, the message inside of this first section, first chapter and this passage that I read for you, the, the, the prologue, the message. And then at the end, I'll talk a little bit about the encounter in Revelation chapter one. In verses one through three, we find the prologue to this letter, prologue to this letter. Let me just read it real quick. Here's what it says in verses one through three. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. This is John's introduction, his prologue to this letter that he will send to these seven churches. The opening words of this prologue explain what the book is. The opening words, the opening words say this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's in chapter one, verse one. Revelation here. The word revelation here is the Greek term apocalypsis or apocalypse, which sets the stage for the entire book. The word simply means the uncovering of something that has been hidden. Hence, this book is about the unveiling of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus. The book unveils Jesus. It reveals him, telling us how things really are. The book of Revelation shows us the cataclysmic events at the end of history when good will finally triumph over all evil. That's what Revelation is all about. It unveils, it reveals Jesus Christ in a way that he's never been revealed before. As we witness the unfolding of events leading up to Christ's coming kingdom, our mental picture of the person of Jesus becomes clearer. Becomes clearer. Prologue helps us to see that. And then at the end of the prologue, John uh, this is the first of many of the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. He says, blessed are those that read it and hear it and do what it says. That's why sometimes in the in the church, the, the deacon will get up and read the word of God. And then he'll say, uh, uh, may the Lord add a blessing to the reader, the doer and the hear the reader, the hearer and most especially the doer of his word. I believe that's stolen from John in this prologue because that's similar to what he says in verse three. And then we leave the prologue and we make our way to the message. The message is in, is in verses four through eight. I read it to you earlier. As we look at the message, I like to look at it in two parts. First part I like to look at is in verses four through six. And in verses four through six, we see John's description of the messenger, John's description of the messenger. I, I, I think if, 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 if I could just imagine and, 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 and uh, just kind of uh, 
include or paraphrase, if you will, what I feel like John may be saying. This is what it will sound like. I think John might say, before I pass along this message to you, I need to remind you of a few things about the source. So that's what he does. He describes the source. The source, by the way, is the Holy Trinity, Father, Holy Spirit and Son. He 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 describes them in that order for a reason. First, he he in verse four, he describes the father. He describes him as him who is and who was and who is to come. That's how he describes him. He's describing God, the father, him who is and who was and who is to come. I like what John C. Hober says about this. Hober says God is not locked into some holy past of great divine deeds unrepeatable in our time. Nor is God merely a distant hope consigned to some pie in the sky heaven far removed from the painful world we now inhabit. No, God is now active, present and standing right here with us. We not we need not be afraid for God is always with us. This is the essence of John's claim for his own time. And it is the essence of John's claim even for us. We are not alone. No matter how difficult our circumstances get, no matter what virus we have to endure, no matter what the economy does, we are not alone. Then at the end of verse four, he describes the Holy Spirit. He describes the Holy Spirit in an interesting way. He describes the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits. John is not saying that the, that the spirit is seven because we know the Holy Spirit is one. According to Ephesians four and many other places, the spirit is one. John's not doing that. He's not violating uh, our doctrine. He's not violating our theology. He's just making a reference to the Holy Spirit in a different way. Seven is consistently associated with perfection in the Bible, fulfillment in the Bible, completeness in the Bible. There is a reference not to what what John does here is a reference not to the Holy Spirit being seven in number, nor in nature, but the infinite, perfect spirit of God in whom there is a diversity of gifts and operations. He is God complete as is all of God. John simply decides to describe the Holy Spirit using the number of completion seven. He saves his description for Jesus for last. So in verses five through six, as Jesus is the focus of the entire books, John saves this description as this messenger for last. John first describes Jesus by who he is, who he is in verse five, a first part of verse five. Jesus, John describes Jesus for who he is, because he says this. He said, look, look at what it says. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. He describes Jesus for who he is. First thing he describes him as uh, is the the faithful witness. This is a reference to Jesus's finished work 
on Calvary's old rugged cross. Uh, he is the faithful witness. What's John saying about Jesus? John is saying that all that God the Father sent Jesus the Son to do, he did it on Calvary. He said from that cross on that Good Friday, he says from his mouth, it is finished. And that is exactly what he meant. It is finished. He is John says the faithful witness, not only is he the faithful witness because we know that that's not how the story ends because the songwriter says three days later he rose again. So John says that not only is he the faithful witness, he's also the firstborn of the dead, which references the fact that Jesus bright early Sunday morning got up with all power in his hand. He 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 rose from the dead. And so he is the firstborn of the dead. Then, then John describes Jesus in another way. He says that he is the ruler of kings on earth. And this is a reference to Jesus's ascension because we know that when he got up, that still wasn't the end of the story because not long after that, he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the father where he now makes intercession for us. He is seated in royalty and he is now king of kings. He's sovereign. And he has all power. You know, scripture says this about that event, it says God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the sound of that name, every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the exalted one. And so John describes the messenger first. First, he describes the messenger. Then uh, John describes Jesus not only by who he is, but then he transitions to describing him by some things that he does. And it's in verses five B through six. He describes him by some things that he does. This is what it says. It says this. That uh, it says in, in, in the second part of verse five, it says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is John's description of Jesus by way of not who he is, but by way of some of the things that he does. And so he says, first thing Jesus does is he loves us. He loves us. And John describes him as the one who loves us. He loves us beyond uh, 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 what, what we're able to comprehend. He loves us with the love of God. And John says he's the one that loves us. Not only does he love us, he loves us so much that he freed us from our sins. He set us free. He who the son has set free is free indeed. He has released us from our sin, from the penalty of our sin. How did he do it? He did it by his blood. And then John says, not only does he love us and he freed us, he has done something else. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God, his father. You know what that means? It means this. It means that when Jesus hung his head 
in the very locks of his shoulders and gave up the ghost on Calvary. The Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom and where we never had access before. We now as priest, as the priesthood of the believer now have access to go in to the Holy of Holies and have an audience with God and take our petitions to God ourselves. That's who Jesus is. That's what he that's what he did for us. He did that. He made us a kingdom, a priest. And then from moving from John uh, dealing with uh, the messenger, he then moves to delivering the message. Talking about the messenger, then he delivers the message. The John's delivery of the message is in verses seven through eight. It's in seven through eight. And here's the gist. Without me reading it, let me just share with you what the gist of the message is. Here's the gist of the message. I've already shared it with you earlier, but here it is again. This is the gist of John's message given to him by Jesus as recorded in verses seven and eight of Revelation chapter one. Here's what it says. Fear not because God wins. That's what it is. That's my paraphrase of it. It's a fear not because God wins. Verse seven. Let's read it. Verse seven. Verse seven says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. This is the central message of comfort and confidence Jesus wants to relay to his followers. This is it right here in verse seven. This is the meat of the message right here in verse seven. It is the message of confidence and comfort that he wants to deliver to the churches in Asia Minor and also to us today. Uh, it, it, he says this. I'm coming back soon. That's what he says. He says, I'm coming back soon and my coming will not be hidden or veiled this time. First time uh, it was hidden. It was veiled this time. Everybody will see when I come back. Boy, that's a powerful word for us today that he is coming back. Everybody's going to witness it and see it. The second coming of Christ is found is a foundational promise of scripture, as well as the longed for hope of the church. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are filled with promises of the second coming of Christ. There are 1,845 references to it in the Old Testament and a total of 17 Old Testament books give it prominence, the second coming of Christ. Of the 200 in 60 chapters in the entire New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ or one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament referred to make reference to the coming of Christ. For every prophecy uh, on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on the second coming. It is a glorious longed for event that we look forward to in Jesus. Revelation 1 7 reminds the churches, reminds us that he's coming back. And then in verse eight. The message continues. Message is I'm coming back. But then in verse eight, the message continues this way. I am alpha. 
I am Omega Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet. Jesus says simply says this. I am the beginning and the end and everything in between. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm everything in between. Like God, the father, I am is. <laughs> I am was and I am was to come. That's Jesus. Jesus says I'm all of that. And then some he reminds us that he is the one who started this universe on its present course. And he is the one who pilots it to its proper conclusion. In other words, he declares himself to be the one who is in control. He is Lord. So that's the prologue. That is the message. Let's wrap this up with the encounter. The encounter uh, uh, actually has there is an encounter in Revelation one. And this encounter actually has two different responses. The encounter, the, the part of the encounter we'll look at is in verses 17 and 18. Didn't read it earlier. I'll read it in a minute. But just know that in, in verse nine. John begins to describe his first face to face encounter with Jesus for the first time in 60 years. He has this encounter while he's in the spirit on the Lord's day in isolation on Patmos and something happens. He's in the spirit and he hears this voice behind him. And he turns and he looks and he sees something wonderful, something awesome. He he sees Jesus and he has an encounter with Jesus. Uh, and there are two different responses to this encounter. Encounter goes from chap uh, verse nine to the end of chap uh, chapter one. In this time, let's just read the two verses I mentioned earlier, 17 and 18, because in these two verses, I would like to show you uh, the responses. 17 says this. 17 says, when I saw him, <laughs> this is John, I fell at his feet as though dead. That was his response to his encounter with the Lord that he loved. The disciple that Jesus loved has an encounter with the Lord that he loves after not seeing him for 60 years, after being isolated in exile to Patmos, and he is still worshiping even in his condition. And while doing it, his Lord shows up. And after having a few words with him and recognizing who he is, here is what he does. He does what we ought to do when we are in the presence of the Lord. He falls on his face, he falls at his feet in awe and worship. This should be our response when we encounter Jesus. Very, just like John should be our response. That's what he does. He falls in awe and reverence. That's John's response. It should be ours. But I want to show you how the Lord responds to John. How does the Lord respond to John? This is what Jesus says. This is what happens when John falls and, and worships Jesus and falls down at his feet. The text says this, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the Lord and the last. I am the first. I am the he says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This is what Jesus says in response to John's reaction to having this encounter with him. He says, 
the first thing he does is he lays his right hand on him as a sign of comfort, as a sign of peace to let him know everything's okay. He lays his hand on him and then he says, John, fear not. Don't worry about anything. I am still God. In fact, I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the living one. Yeah, they killed me. Yeah, they crucified me. But look at me. I'm I'm still alive. I died, but I am alive. And not only am I alive, I'm alive forevermore. And watch this. I've got the keys. I got the keys to death and hell. I've got it. I've got the key. Death no longer has power. Death no longer can claim the victory because I have the keys. That's a reason to shout on Easter. That's a reason to shout. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive forever. And he's given us the victory with him. I love the way Ian e. Bartlett puts it to song in this familiar song when he says this. I heard an old, old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. He still wins. He still wins. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you still won, that you still win, that no matter how it looks in the game, we've seen this before. We've already seen the game and, and we've read about it and we know how it ends. You've given us the victory. So we thank you on this Easter Sunday that early that Sunday morning you rose from the grave with all power in your hands. And we claim victory, Lord God, right now over any situation that we're dealing with. We glorify you. We magnify you this day and every day in Jesus name. Amen. Now, I want to thank you all for again being with us. That is a mighty word. Not the messenger, not me, but the word of God. That's a word to help us today. And I just encourage you, if, you, if you're out there watching on Easter Sunday and you've not yet asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, it would be a good time right now. Because we're reminded all around us when we turn on TV and everything, everywhere else that tomorrow is not promised to any of us. It'd be a good time for you to do that. If you decide to it's simple just pray and ask the Lord to come into your heart confess your sins and he'll do that he'll come and he'll dwell with you on the inside and if you do that we want to know about it if you if you're at home right now you're doing that if you've done that we want to know about it reach out to us and let us know that you've done that we want to pray with you we want to be with you we want to be able to fellowship with you and so we thank you again 
for being with us. Now, let me let me just offer this to you. May the peace of God that passeth all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. Amen.